Welcome to the Treeleaf Zendo podcast. Treeleaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. Today's talk is very hard because life is sometimes very hard. We sit with beauty, we sit with ugliness, we sit in a world of sometimes great peace and sometimes violence. And certainly this week we have had some examples of violence at human hands that seems very hard to forgive and causes anger in response in our own hearts and a desire for revenge. And sometimes it's not so easy just to say, oh, well, we need to forgive, we're Buddhists. Nor is our response necessarily that we must seek blood for blood and anger with anger because that's what human beings do. The answer for us might be much more subtle. And that's what I'd like to speak about today. You know, we sit Zazen, but then our practice is all also to get up and to live in this sometimes very difficult world of samsara with grace, how to live with grace, the proper response to bring about the world that we sometimes, that we someday would like in our hearts where there is no war and violence, where human beings are always kind to each other, where people are always gentle. How do we do that? I like to say that maybe some of the attitudes we'll be talking about today are the attitudes that maybe all people in this world, even if they're not Buddhists or Christians or whether they're humanists or don't believe anything particularly at all, just basic human response in the face of violence and ugliness to someday make this world a little better. Now, the story I'd like to begin with is perhaps the greatest example of forgiveness in Buddhism, and it's from an old sutta, the Angulimala Sutta which is a story of teaching by the Buddha, change, redemption, forgiveness, that, well, I'll just let the story speak for itself. When I read the first opening to the sutra, you'll see the kind of person that Angulamala was. He was a bandit who tied fingers of his victims around his neck. That's where his name came from, you see. I have heard that on one occasion, the Blessed One was staying near Savati at Jetta's Grove, Anatha Padinka's monastery. And at that time in King Pasanadi's realm, there was a bandit named Angulimala, 
bloody, brutal, devoted to killing and slaying, showing no mercy to living beings. He turned villages into non-villages, towns into non-towns, settled countryside into unsettled countryside. Having repeatedly killed human beings, he wore a garland made of fingers. So then the Buddha is on his rounds and wants to pass through the forest where Angulimala is hiding with his band of warriors, band of thieves. And everyone cautions the Buddha not to go. But the Buddha goes and performs a miracle. Now, this is a miracle story. I, I think you can take it as a, a fable. But I think the meaning is very, very clear from the Buddha's own world. So let's see what happens here. So the Buddha is walking through the forest. And then the Buddha, the Blessed One, willed a feat of psychic power such that Angulimara, though running with all his might after the Buddha, could not catch up with the Blessed One walking at normal pace. Then the thought occurred to Angulimala, isn't it amazing, isn't it astounding? In the past, I've chased and caught running elephants and horses and chariots, but now even though I am running with all my might, I can't catch up to this contemplative walking at normal pace. So he stopped and called to the Blessed One, stop, Con contemplative, stop. And the Buddha said, I have stopped, Angulimala. You stop. Now, to me, this is very simple. It's the hunger, the greed, the chasing, the anger that comes from never catching what you wish that is the source of all our dukkha and suffering. And when it's taken to extremes, it makes some people violent, filled with hungers that never can be satiated and resentments that they must take out against their fellow man. Our practice is to stop, to rest, to be satisfied. And then the anger, the hunger goes. And so, Angulimala says, I have stopped Angulimala. This is the Buddha speaking to Angulimala. I have stopped Angulimala once and for all, having cast off violence toward all living beings. You, though, are unrestrained towards beings. That's how I've stopped, and you haven't. Well, the next part of the story is Angulimala stops, realizes satisfaction and peace, and the Buddha ordains him. And the other monks are quite shocked, but, you know, the Buddha can do what he wants. He's, he's in charge. And uh, the king goes looking for Angulimala and uh, comes to the um, Buddha and says, have you seen this fugitive who, you know, was all long haired and bedraggled with bones, necklaces. And suddenly the Buddha says, yes, do you see that uh, monk right there, shaved head with a peaceful countenance? That's him. And the king is confused what to do. Do I arrest this person or what do I do? And the Buddha says, great king, suppose you see Angulimala with his 
hair and beard shaved off, wearing the ochre robe of a monk, having gone forth from the home life into homelessness, refraining from killing living beings, refraining from taking what is not given, refraining from telling lies, living the holy life, virtuous of fine character, what would you do to him? And the king says, well, I would bow down to him, Lord. Rise up to greet him, offer him a seat, offer him robes and alms food. I would offer him lodgings. But how could there be such virtue and restraint in an unvirtuous evil character? And the Buddha responds. Now, at that time, Venerable Angulamala was sitting not far from the Blessed One. So the Blessed One pointed with his right hand, said to King Pasinadi, that great king is Angulamala. Then the king was frightened, terrified, his hair standing on end. So the Blessed One, sensing the king's fear, said, don't be afraid, great king, don't be afraid. He poses no danger to you. And the rest of the story is that, in fact, Angulamala goes on to become a great monk. They say he became an arhat, which is a fully enlightened being. And at the end of his life, even people found out who he was and threw stones and beat him up and tore his robes. And he came back to the Buddha and the Buddha said, well, how did you respond to that? And he said, I, I did nothing. I didn't respond. I felt peace. And I, I, I bowed and hoped that they would find peace too. So that is that story. I, I think it's sometimes even a little more complicated in, I want to say, modern life. It's not so easy, as in this story. For example, I, I had someone come, actually, I'm, this is a composite of several people who have come over the years. I'm not talking of any one person, but someone said, they had a parent who abused them sexually when they were young. And the f parent had left, the family was estranged, and suddenly this person had come back into her life many years later. He's now an old man looking for forgiveness. And she feels such pain inside, anger, resentment. What should she do to this parent, this father who came back into her life? She asked me for some input. Another time someone had been a victim of a violent crime and saw the person who seemed to have become Christian and was looking for forgiveness and he couldn't completely do it, he said. Another time I was a volunteer in some prisons in Florida and there were all, we weren't supposed to know what the people coming to the Zen group were doing, but I found out later there was a murderer. There was a child molester. The child molester was very interesting. He, he actually believed he deserved to be in prison and did not want to be outside. He was a gentle, kind, artistic. He was a photographer. Um, by the way, this is... Um, I'm talking very genetically here, not about any particular person. This could be many people I've met in the prison, but he soft-spoken. He was the kind of person, if you were having a dinner in your house, you would bring him over because he was charming. 
lovely, gentle, and kind, and had one aspect of himself where he was driven to do harm to children. And he knew it and asked the prison warden. He said, never put me up for parole, please. I cannot control this. This week, we had a terrible shooting in Las Vegas. We don't know the reason. They still don't know the reason. I was looking at a similar case uh, that was famous in America, the Austin University Tower shootings back in the 60s. They still don't know why that fellow did a very similar thing. They now believe it's a combination of his violent childhood, which might have been genetic, some predisposition, and a brain tumor that was pressing on the part of his brain that would cause someone, I'm not a neurologist, but to cause someone to not be able to control themselves or to be driven to do this. I bet you in this case, I'm going to tell you right now, my prediction is it's going to be something similar. But whatever the cause is, this is someone inside who was driven by such anger, such emptiness, such divisive thinking about me and those objects down down there under my sights that I can just shoot them, not caring about the people I'm killing. They were doctors, they were nurses and, 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 and ordinary people, students and mothers and fathers and without any thought of who these people were. Ba-dum, ba-dum. What could cause that kind of ignorance, that kind of hate, anger, non-caring, whatever you want to say inside someone? How do we as Buddhists respond to this? Do we forgive like the Buddha forgave Angulimara? I mean, it's kind of moot now, the fellow's dead. But in our hearts, should we somehow forgive him anyway? I don't think it's so simple. The woman who came to me, her father had been abusive. Should she just forgive him and let bygones be bygones? It may be subtle. So let me tell you what I recommend here. We, as Buddhists, see the real culprit of all human bad actions, small and large, as the excess desire, the anger and violence in all of us. Some people have it more than others, perhaps. The divisive thinking of me and you, and you're just an object for me to use, and this other fellow is just my enemy, and I hate this fellow, and I'm jealous, and I want to take. All these thoughts we consider ignorance. This is the real culprit. It's hard for Buddhists to sometimes remember that, but we feel that there are no bad sentient beings. There are sentient beings so poisoned by the disease of greed, anger, and ignorance that they're driven to do bad things, small and large. And it is a premise of Mahayana Buddhism that all sentient beings someday have the potential to become Buddha. It may, in traditional Buddhism, take countless lives, many lives, because they have to work off the debts of what they do in karma. If you do bad things in a future life, 
there are heavens and there are hells. People do go to hell, just like in Christianity. And they work the debt of their karma. And when that is scrubbed away, that debt is paid off. And someday, someday, the worst action committing human being, notice I didn't say the worst human being, I almost did. The worst action committing human being has the destiny to become Buddha. That's traditional Buddhist belief. And others of us think that even those who do terrible actions are Buddha right now. This is a Mahayana belief. But it's so hidden, so buried in the anger, in the ignorance, in the greed, in their actions that it's not easy to see. One time after 9-11, this was very controversial. People were in Florida where I was at the time, very upset. You know, some people were upset at George Bush and some people were upset at Osama bin Laden and some people were upset at everybody. And on the altar, I took down the Buddha statue and I put up a peace symbol, as I recall, a picture of George Bush and a picture of Osama bin Laden on the Buddhist altar. People walked out of the Zen group. They, they couldn't bow to that. And I tried to say, maybe it was misguided, it was too early. I tried to say it is incumbent upon us, it is our duty as Buddhists to see that this person, even if you see what they're doing is terrible, Deep down, there is Buddha beyond the greed, the anger, and ignorance. Maybe my way of doing it was to, in their face, but I'm an in, the, in, the, in people's face kind of guy sometimes. You know? So I did that. I don't regret it. So that's the first thing. There are victims here, many victims. Of course, the victims who were shot, the families, the survivors, the policemen, the doctors who are traumatized dealing with this. Don't think that the policemen and the doctors who had to deal with this just shrug it off. They get post-traumatic stress syndrome and it's, it's hard. But another victim, I, I have to say, is this shooter. He is a victim of the greed, anger, ignorance, whatever this was, even if it wasn't a brain tumor, there was something in him, an empty, angry place. We say Mara, the devil. You know, I don't know if it's a real devil, but people do evil enough that I believe there's real evil in this world. That evil is represented by, in Buddhism too, a devil. This man was filled with the devil, if you want to say. I'm not saying with horns and all that. You, please understand what I'm saying. The devil, the evil in his heart. Man, this was, this was as bad as it gets, whatever his reason. And we still see a victim. Now, does that mean that we do like the Buddha did and say, no hard feelings, it's okay? Not so easy. First off, we are studying the precept on not taking life. Now, if I had been in that hotel room and I saw that man shooting and I had a gun in my hand, I would have killed him. 
And I hope Thich Nhat Hanh and the Dalai Lama would have been behind me with their own rifles and they would have been taking him out as well. You know, something people sometimes re write off the Dalai Lama as a Mr. Peace. But if you really look at his life in the world, he also, there were times when he was for protection, surrounded by militia and people protecting him with guns, shooting to, to allow him to escape from China. It's not so easy. In order to save life, this man killed, what, 58 people. If I could have, I would have killed him. And this is the important part, then taken the karma on myself. I know a policeman who was in a similar situation in real life. He had to kill someone to protect a child. It was a justified shooting. I know we talk these days at unjustified shootings, but this one was righteous. He shot someone to protect a child. And he carried the weight of that for years, for the rest of his life, and always would. And he said he didn't want to do anything else. I think that's right. Oh, I would have, I would have taken the action that was necessary. I believe law enforcement officers shooting this man did the right thing. They had to society to protect society, to protect people. And they are going to carry the weight of it just psychologically, even if they're not Buddhists, but it's just natural. Very few police officers who are in a situation like that will ever forget. I, the, I just saw a, a film about the officers in the Texas shooting back in the 60s, and they started to, you could see the reaction still, remembering the, the stress and the, 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 the difficulty of that day. And yet, and yet, we see this person as a victim. And yet, if we could have taken him alive, we put him in prison. If we need to stop him, we shoot him. There's punishment. If he could have been taken alive, give him a trial, put him in prison. I'm not going to talk about the death penalty today. That's a completely other issue. I'm not, I don't say that he deserves the death penalty. And I, I, I used to be a death penalty fan. I'm going to tell you, as a lawyer, I now don't have faith that it's the right thing to do. So I'm no longer personally in favor of the death penalty. I used to be many years ago. But let's put that issue aside. You put the person in prison. This person has to be punished. And the Buddha, too. I don't know what happened to Angulimala here, but in traditional Buddhist beliefs, there is karma to be paid for these bad actions. It has to be wiped away. I really don't think it's so easy that this murderer Angulimala just suddenly turned into a nice guy and we just forgave and forgot so easily. He needs to do penance. This was an issue for me when I was at the prison group. When I was at the prison group teaching Zazen, I thought there were two groups of people coming. I couldn't look in their hearts. It was just the impression I got. One group truly repented whatever mistakes they had done in life, came to sit Zazen, came to study Buddhism as a way of repentance, reflection, and change. One group came to escape. It was a Valium. It was a tranquilizer for them to get away from the horrible prison life and 
I didn't get the sense that they were reflecting. Now, for a while, I was just going to walk away from the group for that reason. And, but I soon came to the understanding that first off, it's not necessarily my place to decide who is who and who deserves this practice. So I came back to supporting the prison groups, but also hopefully the person who is not reflecting now will come to hear the message of Buddhism and will someday look at himself or herself and reflect. We see everyone is a victim, even the wrongdoer, like that father who abused his daughter. And I asked the daughter, I said, do you think he's really feeling the pain of what he does? And she said, well, actually, there were a couple of cases. One said, I don't think so. And one said, yes. I would hope that someone who did a bad thing in the past would reflect, learn from it, and change. Try to make amends, if it's even possible sometimes. One fellow who had abused children ended up working indirectly very hard to benefit children in this world, trying to make amends for it. Sometimes you cannot fix things, but I think that's important. That's part of it. But I said to the woman, how do you deal with this father? She, I said, do you want to go back and have a relationship with him again? And she said, I would like to, but I'm so angry inside. What do I do? And I said, don't deny the scars. Don't deny the pain. Don't deny your anger. We don't let anger take us over as Buddhists, but sometimes there's anger and it's best to reflect, recognize. If you want a relationship, There may be a way to let the past go and not let the past go at once. In Buddhism, sometimes we can do that. Forgiving and understanding that he is a victim, recognizing the pain inside you is very real and there are scars at once. It's not easy. So we recognize these people are victims and we, in a sense, forgive in that way, but at the same time, we cannot always forgive completely. We have to recognize people need to take responsibility for the actions they did. There are some mistakes that cannot be easily corrected. Not in this life. If someone made a small mistake in life, they reflect, perhaps they can do much 
to make up for it. Karma is kind of like a balance sheet sometimes. But there are certain things so serious that I, I, I really think the person needs to carry the weight of what they did for the rest of their life. And the victim of that was also justified in carrying the weight, even as we let the past go and move on. Recognize the past, recognize the pain, and move on. Anyway, getting back to what happened in Las Vegas. So we're going to recite Meta later. And the question came by someone, I don't know if I can do that. There's a part of Meta where we say, you know, for difficult people. And I'm going to be reciting for this person such things as, may he be free of suffering? Uh, assuming, you know, he's, he's gone, he's dead now. But why are we reciting? If I was to think of him, why would I recite, may he be safe and still? May he be healthy? Why am I wishing him all these good things? And I said, that's also not so easy. First off, we recognize that he too, sorry to say, is also a victim of the greed, anger, and ignorance. And if he did not feel this pain inside, if he truly knew what it was to be when he was alive, what it was safe and still, if he had known health of body and mind, if he had known peace, he would not have done this. That's what this is about. So, why am I reciting with him in mind? There's a couple of ways to look at this. Number one is, it's not really about him. First off, if you don't believe in rebirth, he's gone. I am reciting in my heart for all the other people out there today in our world who may be feeling such anger as he was, that they, represented by him, will be free of this anger, so that this kind of thing does not happen again. You see. It's not just one person. It's many people. And here's another thing. This is, this is where Buddhism gets a little weird. I'm chanting for all of us, me too. Now, I'm not going to go out don't worry, I'm not going out and shooting anyone. But you know, if I had a brain tumor, if I had whatever this fellow had, there, but for the grace of Buddha, go I. I think the Buddha said that. We have to recognize that we all have the potential in us as sentient beings to do what all the other sentient beings do for better or for worse. We are all saints and we are all sinners. I think I'm borrowing from the other religion right now. Please excuse me. Um, so when I'm chanting towards him, I'm chanting for the potential in all of us. You know, we used to say, you know, there are good guys and bad guys in the cowboy movies with the black hat and the white hat. But the truth is, in our hearts, I'm not saying that we are all someone who could go out and do this. We all have the potential we all share human bodies, whatever this man's life was, whatever what caused him, we have to recognize the potential in all of us. So Thich Nhat Hanh has a wonderful poem introduced by Meishin. I'm going to read the second half of the poem. About, um, I, I've written down the name. I believe the name is, what is my true name? I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks, and I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. 
I am the 12 year old girl refugee on a boat who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. And I am the pirate. My heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I am a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands. And I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people dying slowly in a forced labor camp. My joy is like spring so warm. It makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears so vast it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names so I can hear all my cries and laughter at once. So I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true name so I can wake up and the door of my heart could be left open, the door of compassion. Okay, now, um, there's one more sense, even if you don't believe in, in rebirth, that uh, we also might chant for uh, Mr. Paddock, um, wishing we could go back in the past, and he had felt this. That's one way to approach this. We, um, but let's say we believe in rebirth, too. We chant that in future lives, he will know this. So that someday, this, you know, cause and effect is like a line of dominoes. This line of anger and violence that was started here will be gone. Turn to calmness and peace. We chant for that. Now, again, you know, Either in Buddhist hell or in state prison, there may be a price to pay. Don't get me wrong. But we chant that someday, someday, he and all people will be free of suffering. That's what we're chanting for. I know it's hard. Now, of course, we're not just chanting for Mr. Paddock. We're not just, we're truly chanting. Understand this. We are not chanting for anything other than the ending of violence, either here and now or tomorrow or some lifetime to come. That is what we are wishing. Another way to chant is to say not, I wish him to be healthy, I wish all pain and suffering that causes this to be gone. Whether his or anyone else's. We include in our chant, of course, all the victims touched by this tragedy. As we said, as we say in our dedication, the echo to all victims of war, violence and natural events. To the injured and to all families touched by these tragedies. We're chanting for them. We're chanting for the police officers, the rescue, the ambulance drivers, the doctors and nurses who had to deal with this. We're, we're just chanting for all of us who had to watch this and feel these days a little more pain and sadness and isolation. And we're scared. Can't even go to a concert now. Can't even celebrate and dance with our friends and family and loved ones for fear that something could happen. Uh, we have a couple of European folks here. They, they dealt with uh, this from time to time. And I often say the best response to violence is 
don't be afraid. Some of these people want you to be afraid. That's why it's called, for example, terrorism. The response is, don't be afraid. Go dance. You know something? We were not going to dance that hokey pokey, that silly dance we do later, because I thought it's, oh, it's too light. You know, we got a serious topic. No, 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 no. It's not going to stop us, folks. We're not afraid. You understand? Now, I, I think we're going to dance a little solemnly and with some tears in our eyes today because uh, it's, it's very sad. But uh, we're going to dance. You understand? Okay. So the Buddha said in the Dharmapada, hostilities are not still through hostility. Regardless, hostilities are still through non-hostility. This is an unending truth. Sometimes it's translated different ways. Anger is not still through anger. Anger is still through non-anger or even love. Okay? So that is how we're going to dance. It's hard for me to explain this. Why are we offering metta? We're offering metta so this never happens again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast zazen, retreats, discussion, jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.